0: A previously aired episode of Washington Watch. From
1: the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Faith and Freedom Friday. Uh, this is where we uh, step back from the, uh, you know, the, the the politics and the uh, the policies that we deal with each and every day here on Washington Watch. And and we have more of a personal conversation uh, talking to some of our leaders about their faith in Jesus Christ and how that motivates them as elected leaders and how it guides and directs the decisions that they make. And, uh, you know, this started I started doing these occasionally doing a profile piece. And we heard from so many of our listeners saying, wow, uh, that's so encouraging. Uh, and and I know that our guests that were on, they were hearing from their constituents. So I said, decided to say, hey, let's take one day a week, and let's just step back. And uh, I, I want you to get to know uh, what makes the men and women that you'll often hear on this program. What makes them tick? Why why do they do what they do? Why do they come to Washington D.C. And uh, so that's what Faith in Friday, Faith in Freedom Friday is all about. So today we're going to hear from two of uh, of my friends uh, that serve here in Washington, D.C., one in the United States Senate and one in the House of Representatives. In just a moment, we're going to hear from Oklahoma Senator James Langford, and then uh, he was in the House prior to being elected to the Senate, uh, and I'm going to give him an introduction in just a moment. And then uh, later in the program, we're going to hear from uh, someone who has been a longtime friend of mine. Uh, In fact, we were elected at the same time together back in our home state of Louisiana, Uh, Congressman Steve Scalise, who presently serves as the minority whip in the House of Representatives. We're going to hear his story a little bit later here on Washington Watch. The website, as always, is tonyperkins.com. If you happen to be on Twitter or on Parlor, it's uh, at T. Perkins. All right, Oklahoma Senator James Langford had never run for office before 2010. He earned a master's degree uh, in divinity. Uh, southwestern baptist theological seminary back in 1994 he then served as director of the student ministry for the baptist convention of oklahoma but perhaps his largest job before congress was as the director of falls creek youth camp the largest christian camp in the united states and having grown up in oklahoma it was one that our church went to uh, every summer uh, along with uh, 51,000 other attendees, uh, James was the camp's longest-serving director, serving for 14 years. Uh, his experience as uh, director of Falls Creek Youth Camp gave him firsthand experience with evangelism and gave him a robust understanding of why religious freedom is important to spread the gospel. And I think it also helped him dealing with all those kids helped him with Congress. Uh, Joining me now to uh, to talk more. About what propels him forward each and every day is Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma. James, welcome back to Washington Watch.
2: Tony, glad to visit with you again.
1: Well, uh, let's just let me just start with this. You know, you were you were in ministry. Um, now we've traveled together. I, I'm, I'm I'm very familiar with your story, but I want our listeners to hear this. I mean, you you were in ministry, doing quite well. What prompted you to step into the arena of politics?
2: Yeah, after 22 years of youth ministry and working with students in church and denominational life, and then uh, obviously directing the Fall Street Youth Camp, uh, my wife called this life's greatest interruption for us. Uh, this was not something we expected. Um, but uh, in the uh, fall of 2008, uh, my wife and I, every time we sat down to pray, every time we were reading scripture, every time we are sitting in church, as if the Spirit of God was saying to us over and over again, month after month, get ready. And uh, it was just this constant, get ready, get ready, get ready. And that was kind of an exciting thing to hear from the Holy Spirit for a while, but then after a while, it's not exciting, it's just unsettling. And uh, we kept getting more and more serious about saying to God, what are you trying to say? I, I, I feel like you're trying to say something. We can't figure it out. And in September of uh, 2008, uh, my wife and I both, since God saying to us that you're going to run for Congress, and it was very specific, very clear. It wasn't audible, but it was loud, uh, and it was something that uh, we that, that's just not possible. And so, literally, even after months of God saying get ready, when we heard Him clearly say you're going to run for Congress, uh, we spent about seven months, and God, that that's not rational, that's not reasonable. And every day after that, He just kept saying, "Come, follow me," and uh, th- this is what we're going to do. So, in September of two thousand and nine. I resigned my job as the director of Falls Creek and started running for Congress and shocked a lot of people around me who had said, Hey, you've never been involved in politics before. Are you crazy? Uh, shouldn't you try to, you know, run for school board or city council or do something else like that? And I, I said, you know, I, I wish I could, except to be obedient. This is what I'm supposed to do. And uh, after a year through the campaign in the process and a multi-way primary and runoff in general elections, Was elected into Congress. So I I would tell you, uh, this was not something my wife and I discussed early on and said, one day I hope to run for Congress and do this. But we knew clearly this was God's call. And now uh, 10 years into it, it's just as clear as it's ever been. This is what we were supposed to do. And when we hear Jesus say, come follow me, for us, this is what that means.
1: Well, true. When he says, come follow me, he also says, uh, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And I think that's one of the hesitations today that many people have of stepping into this arena, is that you you are immediately attacked uh, in this oh, yeah. age of social media. Things that are untrue are said about you. You're mischaracterized. And that's, that, for, for a believer, for a Christian, you know, you, a, a, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches— uh, is what Proverbs tells us. And so we're, we're you know, we're, we guard that as we should. But we have to lay that down. And some people, you know, when you step over into this arena, they, they think, are you crazy? How can you do that as a Christian?
2: Yep. yeah, I've, I've had both directions on that. I had people say, you know, politics is such a dirty business. Uh, I'll support missionary and I'll support pastors and other things. But really, in the politics, it's just so dirty. I don't want to do that. in and, uh, and I've had other folks say to me, you left the ministry. Uh, and I had to say to them, I, I actually didn't leave the ministry. I am doing what I since God has called me to do uh, in this, and the way he's called me to be able to do it. And if I go back through the Old Testament, the 39 books of the Old Testament, 36 of the 39 books in the Old Testament were written to, by, or about a political leader. And a third of the pages of the New Testament, the book of Luke and the book of Acts, written to a political leader and if you see saul's calling who became paul if you see his calling uh from ananias who god spoke to him and said go lay your hands on this person and ananias said do you know who this guy is and uh god's response to him was yes I, I know exactly who he is he is my chosen instrument to the jews the gentiles and the gentile kings and you see it over and over again his responsibility of ending up in front of political leaders it's clear God is the one who created family. God is the one who created industry and business. God is the one who created government, and he has a purpose. His affection for people extends also to how his world is governed.
1: Let me take that one issue you brought up there that people say, why, why are you getting out of the ministry? Well, I struggled with that before I first ran for office, and it wasn't until I read John Calvin uh, that he said this is a high calling of God and i 'd never seen or heard of that because then reading in a in uh, in Romans uh, that this is a um, uh, a place of ministry it is a, they are servants of God, and you've uh, you know, obviously you 're not going to mention names, but you 've had tremendous opportunities as a as a senator as I have working with the Senate and the House to to do ministry and and come alongside people and share with people and pray with people that. You, quite frankly, I might never go into a church for for spiritual guidance.
2: Yeah, it, it is a unique place to do ministry. And I, I tell people at home that they'll catch me and they'll talk about ministry opportunities. I'll say, I have ministry opportunities around the people I work with, just like you have ministry opportunities around the people you work with. Uh, and for the folks that catch me and will say, oh, I, the, the people you work with drive me crazy. I don't know how you work for those people. Uh, I'll typically smile at them and say, Hey, l- l- listen, those folks that drive you crazy are my mission field. They're, they're my responsibility to be able to demonstrate the love of God to them, uh, to be able to speak truth, uh, to be able to stand for what's right, uh, but to also be able to do it in such a way that I can demonstrate the love of God to that person uh, because that person also matters to God, even the one that drives you crazy. And uh, so there's a few of us gathered together for Bible study uh, early in the mornings uh, for breakfast time uh, one day a week. And uh, some of the folks that are other senators come to that have never been in a Bible study in their entire life, uh, but they are gathered in this, in this Bible study time. I've had the opportunity to be able to, uh, uh, to uh, lead the uh, National Prayer Breakfast. I've had the opportunity to be able to share Christ with people that are lobbyists, people that are other members of Congress and with other staff and interns, and, and uh, to have the opportunity to be able to demonstrate the love of God and to be able to lead some of those folks to Christ. Uh, so, uh, again, I, I, my mission field is a different set of people than other people's mission field, But our responsibilities are the same. Uh, It's it's not that I have a a different calling than other people. I have the same calling and responsibility, just in a different geographic location with a different group of folks. Uh, But my responsibility is still to be able to walk with God in my own personal walk, to be able to demonstrate that grace and love, and to be able to speak of it with the people I serve around.
1: I think that's even, quite frankly, more important that as leaders we do that, especially when we are advocating for... Uh, the freedom of religion, to defend religion, that we actually exercise it ourselves in, in our lifestyle, not only in our personal conduct, but sharing our faith openly with others.
2: Right. Yeah, it is. And uh, obviously, you have to have a faith to be able to live a faith that's important. I, I maintain my own personal walk with God uh, and to be able to keep that fresh. And so I can speak to other people about what God is doing in my own life. Um, but then that, that is something that we all have the responsibility to do, is not just to live polite lives. That's a good thing. Um, but to live a life that people not only uh, see the life that we live, but understand how they could also live that life, how they could experience the grace that we also have. Uh, so for me, part of that in my own personal walk is uh, I read Scripture every day, like a lot of people do. That's a good thing. But I started uh, about two, uh, two years ago reading the Psalms every day. Uh, and as I read the Psalms every day, so many of the Psalms, are written by David uh, mm-hmm. as he's writing and saying they're after me. They're speaking all these lies. They're pursuing me. They're, they're counter to everything that you believe and everything, all your righteousness, got. Yet you are faithful, and you're demonstrating yourself. So it's just a reminder each day for me to be able to start my day remembering uh, that it, it, it's not just that I'm being pursued online, on social media, and all the people say all the hateful mean things, and on and on. There's lots of folks have experienced this for a long time, and God has been faithful through each one of those. So as I start my day in the Psalms, remembering that, and in my day and other scriptures and other passages, it reminds me again it's say, "Don't, don't quit, don't give up." Yep, they're pursuing you. Yep, they disagree. Absolutely, they're counter uh, to a lot of things that are true and right and good. But God is faithful, and don't give up on doing what's good.
1: Yeah, we just finished. Uh, we're on a two-year. A journey through the Bible. Our entire staff and and supporters. It's a Bible reading program we have out. We just finished the Psalms, and it is. Uh, you, you're absolutely right. You can see uh, yourself in in some of these uh, Psalms. In fact, uh, there's a couple of them I've sent to the president just because they were so fitting for where uh, he has been. Uh, Senator, we're, we're we're up against a break, so I don't want to get into the next this next question, but I I, I want to give it to you so you can be thinking about it. Because I'm sure our listeners want to know, how does your faith in Christ as a believer inform your decisions and actions as a senator? And so when we come back, that's what we're going to talk about here on Faith and Freedom Fridays with Oklahoma Senator James Lankford. Uh, Still to come later in the program, Louisiana Congressman Steve Scalise will be joining us with uh, his story. And um, you can find out more about both of our guests by going to TonyPerkins.com and follow the links over to their information. All right. When we come back, we're going to finish our conversation with Oklahoma Senator James Langford. So don't go away. We're back with more right after this.
0: Hey, Hannah,
3: what's going on? Why so gloomy?
0: Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it.
3: Oh yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do?
0: Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it.
3: Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out.
0: When do they start? I-, I would be so far behind.
3: Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading.
0: Nice. Where can I find this?
3: Go to frc.org slash Bible, and you can get started.
0: Where's that again?
3: frc.org
0: slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now.
4: In our time, North Korea remains one of the world's most mysterious countries. Unfortunately, what we do know about North Korea indicates the country is also one of the world's worst abusers of human rights, including violations of religious freedom. The North Korean regime has engaged in an intense crackdown on religion for decades. Today, few religious believers remain, and those who do face grave danger. The secretive nature of the regime, nicknamed the Hermit Kingdom, makes it difficult for American leaders to address these human rights issues. Yet, even though options are limited, the gravity of the situation calls on Western countries to take every action possible to relieve the suffering of the North Korean people, a people who have no chance of speaking up for themselves. To learn more about this important issue, check out FRC's publication titled North Korea, the world's foremost violator of religious freedom. To access the information you need to stay informed, including a list of policy proposals, go to frc.org slash
1: Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain, and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold.
0: The following is a continuation of a previously aired episode of Washington Watch.
1: This is Washington Watch, and it's Faith and Freedom Friday. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Glad to have you along. Uh, My guest, Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma. And, And right before we went to the break, I teed it up with the question, and that is, you know, how does your faith, Senator Langford, your faith in Jesus Christ, you're very clear that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. How does that inform your decisions and actions as a United States senator?
2: You know, I had folks uh, uh, originally when I went into Congress, uh, that challenged me and said, yes, you've been a Christian, you've been a minister, but now you're going to be in a secular role. And so you, you can't have all this Jesus stuff actually affect you. Uh, you've got to be able to be more secular in your decision-making. And I've, I've always smiled at them and said, I have a biblical worldview where I see people as created in the image of God and of value and of worth. And I've yet to see a place where the Bible and the Constitution disagree. And uh, so when I look at the decisions that we have to make, I, I look through it in a biblical lens uh, to be able to see people as God saw it, that sees them and uh, to be able to follow some biblical principles. You can go through the book of Proverbs, which was Proverbs was written to the next generation of leaders of Israel to say, here are the things you need to know if you're going to be a good leader uh, that actually affect your decision-making. Things like equal weights and measures. That's a biblical principle uh, saying that every person is to be treated equally and fairly, regardless of their background, their person, their color, of skin, their faith, whatever it may be. Uh, God loves, it says, all the way back in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus, equal weights and measures. Uh, So you start looking for what are you doing to provide opportunity? What are you doing to be able to make sure everyone's treated fair? Uh, How do you manage this? How do you see a life as a life, regardless of how small or how young that life is? A life in the womb is as valuable as a 20-year-old leaving for college. Uh, Those are individuals, are life, and that's valuable and precious in God's sight. So those biblical principles uh, guide me when I'm making decisions, uh, but like everything else in life, there's a lot of difficult decisions where there's not a uh, uh, there, there's not a passage in Deuteronomy that says, "Thou shalt vote for this appropriation bill." Uh, there's not a passage like that. So you have to look at the biblical context of what is right and good, how you're dealing with debt, uh, and how are you dealing with people, and uh, what does this really mean for opportunity? And uh, so you try to live by those biblical principles and to be able to pray the things through.
1: You know, it's. It it's encouraging to see more and more men and women of faith that are being called into public service like this and who are living out their faith in a very open way, talking about it, uh, being informed by it. it. You know, what would you say to, uh, to, 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 those listeners on this program, believers, most of them, uh, if they're not, I hope they will become believers and trust their lives their uh, to Jesus Christ by accepting the, the gift of salvation. But, how, as Christians in 2020, an increasingly secular culture, how are we to live out our faith in an open way? I mean, should we, should we not cause conflict or confrontation and just hide our faith? Or is it, time to be, is it a time to be open and bold about our faith?
2: Yeah, this is definitely a time to be open and bold. Uh, but to be bold is not to be arrogant or to be bold is not to be caustic. Uh, It's to speak to people as Jesus spoke to people. And I I have people say to me all the time, well, Jesus tossed the tables and confronted the Pharisees. And I'll typically say he he did that twice, actually, tossing the tables. Most every other day he was confronting, he was loving, he was full of mercy and kindness. But he was redemptive. Even when he's tossing tables, it was redemptive, it was redemptive, it was redemptive. And uh, so the the challenge is for us to be able to live out our faith. There, There are clearly people that don't share our faith. Or that have no faith, they live their values publicly, in an American culture that guards, thankfully, the right for individuals to be able to live their faith—not just have a religion or have a faith, but the opportunity to be able to live that faith. Uh, Our Our Constitution protects the right for us to be able to live out our faith in the public sphere uh, as well as privately. uh, But it's the decision of each individual if they're actually going to do that. Those that are in a culture with no faith definitely live that publicly. There is no uh, nothing other than ourselves uh, that pushed back the opportunity to be able to also live that faith publicly. And although uh, we increasingly live in a culture that looks more like the culture that Peter was writing to in 1 Peter, uh, that is very separate and very confused about things of God and about morality uh, and about what is right and wrong and what is actually beneficial to culture, we are here as salt and light. And uh, if we choose not to live that, um, if salt has lost its saltiness, as Jesus said, that's our own decision, uh, because we have the freedom to be able to live out as salt and light, and uh, to help demonstrate that to people.
1: And, and Senator Lightfoot, I think that is increasingly important that we live that out as a culture, as we have become more secular, uh, more disconnected with our foundation and our heritage as a Christian, as a nation built upon Christian principles. That. You know, we're, we're, you don't have prayer in the schools anymore. The Ten Commandments have been removed from our courthouses. And so, if that faith is going to go into government, if the faith is going to go into our school system, if the faith is going to go into entertainment, uh, in the media, we're going to have to carry it in. It's not going right. to be there as an institution. We have to carry it in.
2: Right. I, I have people all the time that look at me and say, It's so, so good to meet a Christian that's in Washington. You're going to be the one who helps turn the nation around. And I'll typically smile at them and push back and say, "Listen, in a in a republic like ours, Washington doesn't change the country. The country changes Washington." Yes. I reflect a group of people in Oklahoma that share these beliefs that are passionate about this and that have been sent someone that is like them, like me, uh, to be able to go represent these values in Washington D.C. But I can't go impose that on people around the country and require us. This is not a theocracy. Uh, every individual has the right to be able to choose. So if individuals want to make a difference in Washington and they get frustrated with what Washington has become, Washington is a mirror to the country more than the country wants to admit. Yes. If you're going to turn Washington around, that means our culture and our locations turn around. That's our churches and people in our churches actively engaging in the national and local conversations to be able to bring light and truth so that then cultures change They send different people to D.C. and uh, the nation uh, then reflects that in D.C. But we certainly reflect our culture in D.C. more than the country wants to admit.
1: That is so true. But it also reflects, I think, the wisdom of the founders uh, that we would have a government that was reflective of the people. So the people needed to uh, have a strong, vibrant uh, faith. Of course, their vision was of Christian faith and they needed the freedom to pursue that. Uh, Senator James Langford, thanks so much for taking time out to join us on this Friday.
2: You bet. I'm very glad to do that. You're going to visit with my friend Steve Scalise. Just remind him you were an Oklahoman before you were in Louisiana, before that, and we claimed you.
1: All right. Uh, Senator, have a great weekend. You as well. Folks, don't go away. We're back after this with more.
5: The history of religious persecution in China is extensive, and many are not aware of the current oppression of religious groups taking place there. China restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale. This religious persecution targets those of every faith. Christians, Muslims, Tibetan Buddhists, and Falun Gong practitioners are all victims of the Chinese Communist Party's efforts to suppress any set beliefs that might compete with the party's ideology. This campaign against religion has had and continues to have devastating consequences for those who simply wish to live according to their conscience. Family Research Council's recently updated publication addresses China's consistent abuses of human rights and explains why they cannot be treated like any other country. Learn more about this issue by visiting FRC.org slash China.
3: Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep. You can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed. So you can stay up to date on local and national news.
6: Wow, I'd definitely use
3: that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store.
6: Okay, that's Stand Firm.
3: Yep, Stand Firm.
5: How do you know all this?
3: Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story.
5: Huh? The
0: following is a continuation of a previously aired episode of Washington Watch.
1: Welcome back to Faith and Freedom Friday. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So glad to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you happen to miss any of this, you can catch it all later. It's all archived at TonyPerkins.com. You know, as we've been talking about, nothing refines and strengthens our faith like the fire of adversity. You know, Now, none of us want to face those trials. But when they come, and they most certainly will... Our faith in God is put to the test. My next guest has been a friend of mine for about 25 years. We were elected at the same time to the Louisiana House of Representatives, and we served together for almost a decade. About three years ago, in a politically motivated shooting, a gunman targeted members of the Republican congressional baseball team. It occurred on the morning of June the 14th. A man opened fire on the Republican baseball team that was preparing for the annual congressional game. The gunman shot five, including Louisiana Congressman Steve Scalise, who was critically wounded. I was actually uh, in a meeting. I was scheduled to meet with uh, Steve later in the day, and I remember getting a text in the midst of that meeting that morning saying he had been shot. Over the next uh, hours, days, and weeks, Steve uh, fought for his life. Um, in fact, they, at point, at a couple of points, thought they had lost him. But he fought his way up the steep road to recovery all the way back to Congress, And this was only possible through the efforts of countless heroes and divine intervention. It's all in his book, Back in the Game, One Gunman, Countless Heroes, and the Fight for My Life. The shooting was planned and executed by an unhinged person who was politically motivated by his hate for the Republican Party and conservatives. And uh, that is an issue that is explored in the book as well. All Americans were appalled by this attack, and it was actually one of those rare occasions where people come together the responses and the reactions from all across the country and and across the political aisle once again demonstrated the beauty and the strength of the american people he is a man who uh, not only knows how to get things done but also how to win people over so he has been serving as the house minority whip since 2014 uh, before that he was uh, chairman of the republican study committee Congressman Steve Scalise represents the first congressional district of our home state of Louisiana, and he joins me now. Steve, welcome back to the program.
7: Hey, Tony, always great to be back with you and, and really appreciate the way you kind of laid that out.
1: Yeah, it's, um, you know, obviously, you know, faith plays a role in our how we look at the world. And, you know, you and I have had conversations over the years, you know, when we were both elected really kind of in a reform move in louisiana to fight the spread of gambling and the corruption related to that and and obviously we have a world view to that but um you know faith has become a a much bigger part of your life as a result of the trial you've gone through has it not
7: yeah it really has because i always had a strong faith and you know was brought up in in a a christian catholic community and went to catholic school for high school um ultimately went to lsu but always had a faith, but it was more private, and, you know, never really talked publicly about it. I I prayed to God every night, and, you know, it was always more of a conversation uh, with God, and I'd, you know, ask Him for things like we always ask for things, but I also would try to go out of my way to to thank Him for the good things that happened, because it's, you know, it's just something I got in the habit of doing, to to not always just want it to be a one-way street where you only talk to God when you want something, but to to thank Him, and it, it also reminded me of you know, there's good things in our life that happen every day, and there's bad things, and some people just want to harp on the bad. And this was kind of a way to remind myself of, of what, what happened that was good, and, and to thank God for that too, so that you're you're, you're not just asking Him for something. But uh, that's what I, I used to do, and then when this happened, you know, uh, clearly that that part of my faith immediately came back to me when I was laying on that ball field after I was shot, and. Uh, you know, heard gunfire, continued to hear a shootout, and it was a very violent shootout. Uh, I was hit and down on the ground. I wasn't sure how bad I was, but I knew I couldn't move anymore. I crawled away as far as I could about 20 feet before my arms gave out. And at that moment, you know, you're first you're kind of you're struggling for your life, trying to get away. And once I was laying there, I could just lay there and hear gunfire. I knew the next shot could be it, and I'm just going to pray to God. And... At that point, Tony, I, I had a very, it was a very serious, direct conversation with God. Um, my first thought was that, you know, I've got a, a young daughter at the time. She was 11 years old, and I had this vision come into my head of Madison walking down the aisle alone. And I said, God, please don't let Madison have to walk down the aisle alone. And, uh, And from that moment, it just became a conversation with him about being able to see my family again. And and putting it in his hands, and I'll tell you, I, I got an unbelievable calm uh, in the midst of all this, and it was a violent shootout, uh, but I, I knew at that point it was in his hands, and I was comfortable with knowing that God's in control, and uh, and he took care of me that day, and he performed miracles that day, Tony. Uh,
1: miracles, uh, indeed, and uh, we're up against the break here in just a moment, but I want to come back and talk about that because... Uh, after the fact, when you had gotten enough strength that the doctors could talk to you, they uh, they told you uh, some of the things that had transpired that, in fact, uh, is miraculous that you uh, you survived and not only survived, but you you are doing quite well, uh, given all that you have been through. So so stick with us, uh, folks. On the other side of this break, Congressman Steve Scalise going to continue our conversation about this uh, trial, this traumatic event, the shooting that took place, and how faith not just helped him survive, but he has thrived as a result of this, and the Lord is using in, in remarkable ways uh, on Capitol Hill. So we're going to continue our conversation with uh, Congressman Steve Scalise on the other side of the break. Don't go away. Back with more of Faith and Freedom Friday, right after this.
0: Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday on over 800 radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Representative Vicki Hartzler, Molly Hemingway, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Dana Lash, Sissy Graham Lynch, Pastor John MacArthur, Eric Metaxas, Albert Moeller, and more. Tony is joined by leading political figures, pastors, and policy and culture experts who will inspire you to be engaged and informed on the important issues facing America. For a Christian perspective on the news of the day, tune in to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com.
8: Ever since the Supreme Court handed down its infamous Roe v. Wade decision in 1973 that legalized abortion nationwide, a national debate has raged over whether the government should fund abortion. In 1976, Congress banned taxpayer funding of abortion and Medicaid by passing the Hyde Amendment. Several states have followed suit passing their own restrictions on abortion funding. However, because government funding is a complex system of joint federal and state programs, completely banning taxpayer funding for abortions and abortion businesses like Planned Parenthood is challenging. There is still much work to be done to free the American taxpayer from funding the horrific practice of abortion. Family Research Council's new publication, clearly explains the Hyde Amendment and why we need to keep it in order to save taxpayers from being forced to fund abortion. Access this important information by visiting FRC.org slash Hyde.
6: What's on your daily or weekly reading list? Are you looking for honest and informative commentary from fellow believers on the current issues facing our culture? Family Research Council has just the thing. Check out FRC's blog at FRCblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts as well as outside contributors. On our blog, you can read about a wide variety of topics, including religious liberty, life, marriage, family, sexuality, public policy, and the culture. Read up on some of our latest titles like Four Disturbing Trends in Religious Freedom Worldwide, Legitimizing Looting Jeopardizes Liberty for All, The Media Still Doesn't Get It, Conservatives Tend to Vote Conservative, and more. At Family Research Council, our mission is to advance faith, family, and freedom in the culture by helping you live out your faith and to stand for truth. Our blog is here to help you do that. Stay informed and get the resources you need at frcblog.com.
0: The following is a continuation of a previously aired episode of Washington Watch.
1: This is Faith and Freedom Friday here on Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. Glad to have you with us. And uh, joining us, Congressman Steve Scalise represents the 1st Congressional District of Louisiana, and he is the minority whip. Uh, Steve, thanks for uh, spending some of your Friday afternoon with us.
7: It's great to be sharing this with you, Tony.
1: I know you and I have talked about this a number of times since the shooting took place almost three years ago. But, um, you know, as we were just discussing, you know, the miracles that took place, I mean, you came very close to to dying right there on that ball field and then later at the hospital.
7: Yeah, you know, my um, my trauma surgeon uh, who, who treated me when I came into the emergency room, um, after I you know, come, I came out a few days, I was in a coma for about three days. And, um, you know, we, once I kind of got better, I, I was curious and asked him, you know, just how bad it was. And he told me that that first night, especially, there were two different times where he wasn't sure if I was going to make it. And uh, I had lost a lot of blood when I got to the hospital. He told me it literally it wasn't a matter of minutes, but literally with, within a minute, I, I might not have made it because I had lost just about all my blood they had to put 20 units of blood inside of me and you know the normal human has about eight units of blood in them so i i had uh, i was bleeding internally pretty heavy the bullet ripped into about over 100 pieces it was a 762 caliber bullet you literally could take a bear down with it and um and so i had a lot of internal bleeding a lot of organs were damaged my femur was shattered so i, I was a mess and uh and like i said uh really almost didn't make it that that first few minutes and they performed just miracles in, in keeping me alive. And then, uh, you know, we had complications along the way as they were trying to, you know, literally just kind of stop all of the different uh, arteries and, and organs that were severed.
1: But you also, right there on the ball field, some of your colleagues um, with medical training were able to step in in those uh, first minutes, which were also key to your survival.
7: Yeah, Tony, and this is where the, the heroes really come in. And, and, you know, as you said in my book, Back in the Game, I really wanted to tell the story through the eyes of the people who helped me through that day. And, um, you know, I talk a lot about the miracles, uh, and there were a number of miracles on that ball field that, you know, one or two you, you, you might kind of just scoff off as a, as a coincidence, and by the fourth and fifth and sixth one you realize there's only one way to explain it, and that's that God was on that field. Uh, With us, And um, there were a number of heroes on that field, too. The first two were David Bailey and Crystal Greiner. And at a time when we're talking about police and whether or not cities should defund police, uh, the two United States Capitol Police officers who were with me that day are the epitome of what is great about law enforcement and the unheralded side of law enforcement that you don't see. Uh, They were both shot during the shootout and yet still kept going after the shooter to protect us. Uh, they literally were both risking their lives to protect us on that ball field. And like you said, about a dozen Republican members of Congress that were practicing that he was trying to execute. And, uh, and, and they risked their lives and, and ultimately took the shooter down. And, and they carried out their job exactly as they were trained to do. And, uh, and that's what law enforcement means to me and so many other people. Uh, but, you know, they were the first heroes. Uh, but Brad Wenstrup, as you referred to, my colleague from Ohio, um, he's a great member of Congress, a wonderful man of faith. But he was a—he's a medical surgeon. He actually was a tra- was a trauma surgeon in Iraq. He served in Iraq and Afghanistan, and and would be the one to, to treat people on the battlefield and and kind of get them ready to be able to make it to a hospital if they were injured uh, out, out in the battlefield. And uh, and he immediately saw me. He was out in the batting cage, and. He waited until the shooter was taken down, and he came out and immediately looked at my injury, saw where the bullet went in, realized there was no exit wound, which to some people they thought it was just a minor, uh, a minor injury. He knew it was a serious injury because he treated somebody in Iraq with a very similar injury, and they didn't make it. Uh, and so he knew what was going on internally, and so he immediately worked to stop the bleeding. Uh, I took took the shirt off of Brian Kelly, who was a volunteer with us there and um, literally took the shirt off of his back, and then um, Brad used it as a tourniquet and applied a tourniquet to stop the bleeding, and my trauma surgeon told me if that tourniquet wasn't applied properly like it was, I wouldn't have even made it to the hospital.
1: Mm. Let's talk, Steve, about, you know, in it was a long recovery. It was a difficult recovery. I know we spoke a few times during that process, and there were ups and downs, but Let's talk about the role that your relationship with God played, how, how you relied upon your faith, the prayers of others, the encouragement of that uh, helped you in your recovery.
7: Yeah, Tony, this is, this is one of those areas where I, I didn't really realize how powerful it would be to feel the prayers of other people. But, you know, you, you were asked in your daily life, and especially as, as the head of the Family Research Council, Uh, You know, you fight for faith-based issues, you fight for religious freedom, but you also let people reach out and say, will you pray for this person? Or, you know, we we all see it and hear it, you know, and some friend of yours will tell you, you know, my my brother just got cancer, or my wife just was diagnosed with breast cancer. And and you pray for them. And sometimes it's people you don't even know, but you pray for them because someone asked you to, and you don't know if they really feel it. Well, let me tell you, I, I had prayers from close family and friends, two people I had never met before that were having uh, prayer groups and uh, just, you know, the things that I would get sent, the, the the wonderful cards wishing me well and telling me they're praying for me, people I'd never met before. I can't tell you how powerful that was to both me and my family. My wife, it was a tough time for her because she's managing our two kids who are trying to figure out if their dad's going to live or not and, you know, what's, what's going to happen to our family. Uh, and to, to have just prayers coming in from all around it was so powerful it was so uplifting at, at the toughest times and that's really what prayer is about is you know you're reaching out to, to try to give strength to other people at their lowest moments that's why you pray for people i will tell you it mattered it helped it was it was an unbelievable gift and uh and i, I can't thank people enough uh, who who prayed for me whether they knew me or not Uh, It it really helped us through those darkest days.
1: So, Steve, you know, almost three years removed from the actual incident. uh, It's been a long recovery. You've had multiple surgeries. Uh, You continue to deal with uh, the issues related to the shooting. But how is Steve Scalise, the man, different in terms of the strength of his faith? How has this made you stronger?
7: Wow, um, it's it's just put such a sharp focus, Tony, on what's important in life, and uh, my faith has never been stronger. Uh, I know God is there. I know he's got a plan, and uh, I don't know what that plan is, but I know he's got a plan, and and I trust it. I have complete faith in in knowing that God's going to take care of me and won't give you more than you can handle. I mean, that saying that God only gives you that which you can handle is true, and sometimes they give you a lot, and you know, we've been through a lot, and most people have, and yet, you know, it does make you stronger if you get through it. Uh, it surely has strengthened my faith, and it's also, it, it's also really encouraged me to share it with others because a lot of people have asked me about this along the way. And, you know, I was actually asked to be the, the keynote speaker at the, the president's prayer breakfast two years ago. And, um, you know, and that's something I wouldn't have done normally before the shooting because, again, it was more of a private thing with me. But I realize now that, you know, there's so many people that, that struggle with things, and there are people that just don't have that same faith. And, and I don't encourage people to pick a religion. I, I respect people's religious differences, but I, I do encourage people to go and find a spiritual force. You know, for me, Jesus Christ is my Savior, and I have a strong belief in God. Find somebody bigger than yourself to believe in, and, and, and a strength and a faith and a belief in God Will do unbelievable things for you and give you strength that you never thought you could summon, and uh, and it gets you through tough times. and And don't go do things alone. Don't go into a dark place. Uh, that's why you should have a, a strong faith, and it, and it works and it helps.
1: Yeah, you know, Paul says that uh, as he commented on his uh, challenges, that God's grace is sufficient, and I think we've we've got to accept that grace because it is uh, it's a gift. And we, we can either choose to walk alone or we can walk with God, allowing him to walk with us and strengthening us in these trials and tribulations, which are going to come. Uh, they're varying degrees. Some people, you know, most people are not going to face what you face, Steve. They're not going to face a shooting, but they're going to face, you know, a diagnosis. They're going to face something, right? Diagnosis of cancer. They lost job. There's always issues in life. And we can either run from God or we can run to him. Um, let me let me ask you this, uh, Congressman Steve Scalise, my guest here. We're discussing on this Faith and Freedom Friday how his faith was in the Lord Jesus Christ was strengthened uh, in um, as a result of the shooting that he went through about three years ago. Uh, Steve, in this in the whole thing that unfolded, what would you say that you experienced that? Encouraged you the most through this whole episode, and it doesn't necessarily have to be applied to your personal faith, but just what you saw that that, that encouraged you uh, during this uh, experience.
7: Um, it's a it's a tough question, Tony, but because there were so many positive signs in 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 that dark period, I think what really what really got me through it the right way where I could really focus on recovery was just seeing the goodness in people Mm -hmm. because it would have been easy and there were people that you know that asked me you know, gee whiz you know do you are you angry at you know the shooter or you you know are you going to forgive the shooter or you know and he was a he he was a Bernie Sanders sycophant and you know they people say, you know do you hold Bernie accountable I said no I don't I mean this was a sick person anybody that does something like that there's no justification uh, you can't blame it on somebody else. Uh, he did it. He was twisted. But that's not where I'm going to choose to focus my energy. I, I either focus all my energy on getting better, or I can just look in the past and, and focus on anger and hate. And I'm not going down that road. And so I, I chose to focus on getting better because I needed to. I needed to learn how to walk again. I needed to. I wasn't even sure if I was going to be able to walk again. My doctors didn't know if I was going to get some of the nerve uh, feeling back. And so. When I started doing that, it was seeing the greatness in people. There's so much good in this country, and you hear about it all the time, and then you're challenged at a moment like I was challenged. And I saw it in so many different walks of life, Tony, where colleagues of mine, members of Congress from other states would say, you know, I've got a church group in my district, and they're praying for you. And, again, these are people i never met before. I'd get the, the most wonderful notes. You know, and somebody would send a prayer blanket to the hospital, I mean, this is what America is, Tony. It's good people who you don't hear about every day. You're not going to see them on the news because they're not out shooting each other, you know, burning down buildings. This is just the the bread and butter of what makes America the most wonderful place on earth, and I got to see it. And that was – it was such a strong redemption in in saying, okay, I can go down two roads. I I really don't want to focus on what the guy did or why he did it. All I know is I need to get better. And wow, I've got so many people rooting for me to get better. And and that's really what gave me the strength to just move forward and plow ahead and say, I'm, I'm going to go get better.
1: It was a remarkable time, one of those rare moments where you see a nation coming together across political aisles. We saw it on Capitol Hill. We saw it uh, almost universally as people were praying for you, and it was, a, it was kind of a respite. It was kind of a step back from the divisive politics that uh, marks Washington, D.C., uh, and has increasingly become the norm. Um, we're almost out of time, uh, Steve. Well, let
7: me let me real quick. Tony share. there. There was an anecdote that always sticks out in my head for some reason, and maybe this would be a good place to put it. It, it. You know, after that, we we were trying to you know do things to just get away. And so once I got out of the hospital, I was starting to get better. Uh, my wife took me to Pike's Peak in Colorado. Which is a beautiful area out there. You know, Colorado not not as many conservatives maybe as I'll find in Louisiana. And we're at the top of Pike's Peak, and this guy comes up to me, and he says, you're Steve Scalise? I said, yeah. He goes, "He goes, I just want to tell you. He goes, I don't agree with anything you stand for, but I was praying for you, and I'm glad to see you're getting better. <laughs> and it just shows you, you know, it, the, the politics is not what everything's all about, and, you know, it shouldn't define everything about you. If somebody disagrees with you, that doesn't make them the enemy. You go fight for what you believe in. But uh, you know, you you, you, all, you also ought to have some sense of humanity and humility, and and, uh, and care about your fellow man, and, and and most people do, by the way.
1: Yeah, and you know, in when we were in the house in Louisiana, that was the way we operated with Republicans and Democrats. We we vig- we, we fought for the things we believed in, but then we would go out and you know have crawfish together, or uh, you know, yeah. it's just we 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 need to be able to, to to see people as fellow human beings and treat them. With kindness, uh, we're almost out of time, Steve. And I do want to ask this final question in the next forty-five seconds. For those that might be going through uh, a difficult challenge—again, not to the degree that you went through—but but there's so many challenges out there. What would be your advice to those that are hurting right now, looking uncertain of the future?
7: Uh, the biggest thing I'd say, Tony, is that number one, we, we're all we all go through tough times. That's that's not what defines us. It's how you get through the tough times. You, it will end. The tough times will end. The, the real issue is how, how did you get through it, and yeah. did you focus on the positive and know that there are so many people out there rooting for you and praying for you? There, there are people that you don't even know that are praying for you, and you will get through it. And so keep a strong faith. Keep a deep belief that it will get better because it will get better, and, and keep a positive attitude about it. As hard as that might sound, uh, it, it, it makes it easier to get through the tough times.
1: Good word. Absolutely. Good word and a good word to uh, to end our program on. Steve Scalise, thanks so much for uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Great being with you, Tony. Take right. care. God bless. All right, folks, if you'd like to know more about Steve, you can get a copy of his book. You can follow the links over. Go to Tony Perkins dot com. It comes down to the issue of grace. Lean in on God's grace, no matter what you're facing. Great word. You know, as you face challenges and difficulties, lean in. God. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where it says when you've done everything you can do and you've prayed, prepared and taken your stand. By all means, keep standing.